0: Welcome to California Now, a podcast produced by Visit California. I'm Saturius Johnson. This week, we'll visit a dream destination for kids and adults, Legoland California. We'll talk with PJ Catalano, a Legoland master builder who gets to play with Lego bricks for a living.
1: We design, we build, we install, we maintain all the different models of 30,000 different models, sets and scenes throughout the park.
0: We'll also explore the Pacific Crest Trail, home to
2: some of the most iconic hiking trails anywhere. You lose yourself out in the middle of nowhere and then at the same time you find yourself. You know, you find out what's important in life. And we'll also
0: chat with shopping guru Erica Chan-Kaufman about some of the best boutiques in the Bay Area and beyond. It's all coming up on California Now. There's a recurring theme of sorts here on the California Now podcast. We tend to interview guests with extremely cool jobs. There was the Michelin inspector who gets paid to eat at the best restaurants in the world, the professional cowboy, the full-time rock climber, the spa evaluator, and the list goes on and on. Well, today... We're going to continue this tradition because today we're going to talk with PJ Catalano, a Lego master builder who works at Legoland California in Carlsbad. Welcome to the California Now podcast, PJ.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Lego master builder. It sounds too good to be true. I mean, like a lot of people, I grew up playing with Legos. Is that what you now do for a living, PJ?
1: Yeah, it's a dream come true for, you know, it's a dream job for kids. It's probably a dream job for most adults. And it was for me also. And that's literally what we do throughout our day. We design, we build, we install, we maintain all the different models of 30,000 different models, sets and scenes throughout the park.
0: Well, we're going to definitely get into some of the cool stuff visitors can see at Legoland California. But before we do that, I need to know, how did you actually get this job? Was it like a, a lifelong goal?
1: So it's an interesting question that a lot of people ask. Like most kids and like you said, I did build and play with Lego as a kid. And then, you know, throughout as I got older, I kind of outgrew it a little bit. But still, once in a while, I went back to it and, and used my Lego. When I moved to California, I heard about this job because 40 years ago, when I was a kid, there wasn't this job did not exist. Right. So when I moved here, I saw the job was something that was real, and I was like, wow, I gotta try out for that. <laughs> um, so I did. I went to the audition. And the auditions, they change throughout the years, but the basic common aspects are there. And the three things you have to do is you, you build for time and speed. The first one is you build a two-dimensional object, the second's a three-dimensional object, and the third is uh, enlargement. So you have about a half hour to do each one of these projects. Um, so you do actually build for time and speed. So our interview is building and playing with Lego. So it's a very interesting aspect, a very fun aspect. It's a really neat uh, concept, too.
0: It almost sounds like a competition, like a reality TV show, because you're <laughs> you're like yeah. building things against the clock and <laughs> not like a typical interview.
1: Yeah, it, it could be. But yeah, it's very interesting. It was not typical at all and uh, very interesting.
0: So you've been with Legoland California for how long now, like five, six years? Um, what would you say the best part of your job is?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, six years now. So the best part would probably be seeing everything that we build and we design, everything we put out in the park, and seeing the expression on kids' faces, on families' faces. They love being inspired. They love, uh, seeing what they can do. And we have so many questions asked by guests on a day-to-day business about, like, how it was possible. How'd you do that?
0: You know, when you talk about all this, I kind of imagine your office or maybe your workshop to be kind of like a cross between a kid's playroom and that massive warehouse from the last scene of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Am I, am I close? <laughs>
1: You hit the nail on the head. That's exactly what it is. Uh, <laughs> I explain to people that our warehouse is just like going to like a hardware store. If you're looking for like nuts and bolts, we have a drawer with like that specific Lego piece right in the front, and you pull it out, and that drawer is all that one piece. It's all separated by color. It's all separated by the pieces, huh. uh, the size. Uh, but then also, our desk is just filled with all the little things we've built throughout the times, little prototypes and design paperwork, and it's like a, a kid's playroom and also a, an adult uh, um, a workshop all mixed in together. It's a lot of fun.
0: It sounds like a kid's dream come true, actually.
1: <laughs> yeah, and the, the best part is that we're actually behind a sheet of glass so people can walk by and actually see what we're doing. They watch us building and they watch us designing and creating. So we're often interacting throughout the day quite often, you know, waving to them, showing them, lifting up something we're working on, you know, take pictures. And so it's a really neat uh, concept.
0: Yeah. So how would you say like a typical day for you unfolds or, or, or does a typical day even exist for a Lego master builder? <laughs>
1: Uh well we we get there actually pretty early. Um we actually get there a few hours before the park opens in case we have to do anything major that we can't do in front of guests. Um but then once the park's open, we're working at it behind our desks and it's never the same thing. We might be working on a brand new project, we might be updating something else we might be walking through the park and say oh that's that's uh that needs a little bit of love let's take that inside and fix it up a little bit sometimes we call copy build or we take a model and we literally just copy exactly as is to get it fresher or newer sometimes we take some older models and we completely redesign it on a computer sometimes we redesign it on a computer and then change it in our head and build new things so it's never the same thing it's always a different project it's always changing and um evolving throughout the day and throughout the projects so it's it's neat it's variety and it's fun
0: it almost sounds like you're you know like a sculptor from like the renaissance but instead of using marble <laughs> or clay you're using lego blocks
1: <laughs> that, yeah that's funny i tell people i'm like a i'm like an architect instead of wood i'm using plastic or instead of uh, a painter but instead of paint i'm using my lego my lego brick so it's funny what you said that
0: Yeah, I have to confess something. I've actually never been to Legoland, California. I mean, I know it's tailored to families with younger kids for the most part. How would you describe the park to someone who's never been there? Well,
1: you are right. The park is designed and geared towards kids ages 2 to 12. We call it the first for everything. We want this park for the first time they see something. First time they've been on a roller coaster. You're not going to go upside down, but the kids are going to find it exciting. It's the first time they've gotten their driver's license, the first time they drive a car. So we call it the park for first. It's the first time we've done a lot of things, be on a boat ride. Uh, but at that, with that said, being geared for kids 2 to 12, it's also for families. And I see adults coming in all the time. I see chaperones coming in all the time and having a blast and having so much fun on the rides, enjoying the foods. We have over 60 rides, shows, and attractions. And though they're geared for younger people, all ages can enjoy it. I've seen adults have a blast. I've seen everyone ask questions and engage and just enjoying their whole day. So... Though it is geared for two to twelve, it is enjoyable for all ages.
0: So you know, even though I haven't been to Legoland California, I have heard there's an area of the park called Miniland USA, and it's it's kind of like a a Lego production of all sorts of destinations and attractions, places like Grand Central Terminal in New York City and Hollywood. Uh, can you can you talk a little bit about Miniland USA?
1: Yeah, so Miniland USA is probably the heart and soul of Legoland California Resort, as it is with all the other Legolands also. Um, It's located in the center of the park. It's a very large area. It takes up a good portion of the park where you have to walk, you get to walk through and see all different clusters we made that represent the different parts of the USA. So we have things like a New York cluster. We have our Southern California cluster, our Northern California cluster, uh, Washington DC. We've got uh, Vegas and New Orleans. So we've got a lot going on and a lot to see and a lot of new stuff to check out.
0: And so these are like cityscapes that are built out of Lego blocks. I mean, what kind of, what scale are we talking about here? Are we like looking down onto these things or, or how big are they?
1: Well, you're literally walking through these cities. Um, so the, the clusters are separated by paths. You can see each cluster individualized and you get to see how we represented each of the cities from there. So for example, our New York cluster has a one world trade center. It's our tallest building. It stands at over 25 feet tall. Huh. Uh, it's actually the tallest Lego building in North America. Huh. Um, and then right, we have the entire skyline following out from there um, down to a little mini lander walking around the streets of New York, cars driving by, taxis driving by and the minilander could be they're about a uh, four or five, six inches tall. Um, so to give you an idea of the, of the size of it but you're walking through this very large area of each one of these
0: cities that's really cool and so you're saying they're actually like little cars driving th- on the streets and things like that
1: yep so we like to actually animate as much as we can so throughout these cities we have moving cars we've got moving people marching bands fun little things throughout the buildings little stuff moving here or there dancers just to kind of give it a little more life a little more adventure a little more excitement so we always have these neat little stories to be told in there and to look for
0: I, this kind of sounds like something that both kids and adults would actually kind of get a kick out of.
1: It is. It's definitely something for all fam, all well, ages of all families. So the park is designed for two to twelve year olds, but I've oftentimes seen the entire family, adults, uh, chaperones, all enjoying and finding all the little neat little stories we tell, and they, it, everyone loves it. All they're interested. There's many times where I'm talking with guests where the parents they're more excited than the kids are. They're asking more <laughs> questions and they're more enthralled by, it, and they want to know more. So it is. It it is geared for kids two to twelve, but People of all ages, entire families can have fun. Uh always having a blast. Like it's just a neat, it's a definitely a, a family fun park.
0: Yeah, that sounds really great. You know, if for people like me, say, who, who really want to gawk at the Lego creations throughout the park, where would you send me to see some of the coolest constructs?
1: I don't think there's anything that you wouldn't be amazed at. I think one of the most popular, one of my favorite things would probably be a Lego City Deep Sea Adventure Submarine Ride. So it's our first and only underwater ride. Uh, it's it's a, over a four-minute ride. It's really interesting. Um, there's hidden gems everywhere. Literally, there's hidden gems um, that you're supposed to go on. It's an interactive ride, so when you find these gems, you get to click on a screen, and you get to uh, pick them out and, and find them for your treasure hunt. Uh, and the other really neat thing about that is that the models, handling models underwater is very difficult. They float. So we actually had to design them with actually air channels throughout it so we can actually let the air out and get them underwater easily and actually install them correctly. So it's been a really neat process trying to learn it. So that's definitely probably the the one you got to check out because it's got a lot, of, a lot of stuff to see, a lot of like new technology, a lot of new standards and, and things. So definitely worth checking out.
0: Now, let me get this straight. So are you as a guest actually going underwater in some sort of submarine thing or are you seeing it from like an aquarium standpoint or is it like a virtual experience? What exactly is it?
1: No, so this one is an actual submarine ride. So you're actually getting inside of a submarine that is underwater, and you actually go around the actual lake, and you see what's, you see all the miles, you see all the fish, the live fish that are in there, the sharks and the rays, and um, there's an interactive screen on your little submarine, and I think I believe there's uh, eight interactive screens, and you get to find the hidden treasure chest that you're looking for and finding and when you see something out in the water, you click on it on your screen, so it's a really neat concept. Uh, it's been our most popular thing, so you have to check it out for sure.
0: That sounds really cool. Uh, You know, I I read an article on the California Now blog that there will be a new Lego Movie World area at Legoland California opening uh, in 2020. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, we're
1: really excited about the Lego Movie World. So it's going to be opening in spring 2020. We have a whole bunch of new Lego content coming in, especially some raptors coming in and some other theme models from the movies. It's going to be featuring all new rides and attractions. That they're all going to be movie-themed from the multiple movies, so it's going to be really exciting, something we're looking forward to tremendously. Uh, we've been getting to work on it a little bit here and there, and it's been really nice.
0: So so you as a master builder and some of your other fellow master builders are, are, are actually involved in kind of dreaming up new creations for LEGO Movie World?
1: Yeah, so as a team, we get to kind of decide the models. We kind of got create the models, uh, design them, and then actually build them, and then install them, and we've been working on that and kind of throwing out ideas on what would work and what wouldn't work, and what we like, and and it's we're, something that we're really excited about, so it should be a lot of fun.
0: All right, well, we're kind of running out of time here a little bit, but I'd love for you to leave us with some sort of pro tip. Is there like a hidden gem within Legoland California that we definitely need to seek out, or, or is there any trick to making the most of our visit?
1: Yeah, I'll give you one fun one for sure, which uh, definitely if you visit Legoland California Resort, we do something called a mini land trade, so whenever you have your minifigures on you or carry them around, if you see an a MC, a model citizen, one of the employees there walking around on, with a minifigure on their brick badge, you can trade it with them. So feel free to bring in your your Lego figures and you can trade them with any, any employee. And that's a lot of fun to do. The kids love doing it. It's so much fun decorating our own badges. And then we get to interact with the kids as they want to trade around them. And if you're going to look for any specific hidden gem, I would say you have to go through Miniland. Miniland is so awesome because we're always changing it around. There's lots of different scenes there that are always changing. We like to give little stories. So there's always a different Minilander stories throughout Miniland to do something fun and cute and whimsical. And we always want something different changing. So you got to find all little stories in there. There's always these little humor in there and lots of little scenes that you can find and and never see the same thing twice and keep looking and you'll always find something new.
0: Yeah, that sounds great. So like, even if you've been to Legoland California before, if you're visiting again, hit Miniland because it's going to be different. Exactly. That's really great advice. Thank you so much for joining us on the California Now podcast, PJ. Yeah, thank you for having me. PJ Catalano is a master builder at Legoland California, a family-friendly theme park located in the northern San Diego County town of Carlsbad. You can learn more at Legoland.com slash California. And you can find links to everything we discussed today at our website, visit slash podcast. This is California Now. My next guest is an expert on the Pacific Crest Trail, an iconic trail that spans the length of California and, in fact, can take hikers all the way from the Canadian border down to Mexico. Mark Larrabee is an associate director with the Pacific Crest Trail Association and also the author of the Pacific Crest Trail, Exploring America's Wilderness Trail. We're going to ask him about some of the most beautiful stretches of the trail, including some hidden gems he's discovered over the years. Welcome to the California Now podcast, Mark. Thanks for having me. So, you know, the Pacific Crest Trail covers so much terrain. It's 2,653 miles long that I don't really know where to begin. Maybe we should start with this. What makes it so special?
2: Well, it's an amazing place to be because it goes through California desert. It goes through the mountain regions. It dives into forests and goes by big lakes and wilderness. You can get away from it all there, uh, and it's, it's just an iconic place. We preserve wilderness in this country, so we have that experience. And the PCT goes through forty eight federal wilderness areas. So half the trail is in the wildest places in America, right. How accessible is the trail? Is it uh, easy to actually get to? yeah, it's it's actually pretty accessible. Uh, you know, the trail runs through the spine of the of the crest. That's why we call it the Crest Trail. So the mountains cut through the heart of the state of California. There are thousands of trailheads uh, on both sides of the range uh, where you can get to uh, a place and walk in and get on the Pacific Crest Trail. And it's pretty, you know, it's pretty easy. If you live in one of the big cities in California, uh, you're only a couple hours, maybe three, four hours from a trailhead, um, and you can get there and get out and do a great hike. And you know, I think a lot of people may know about the Pacific Crest Trail, because, of course, there was that best-selling
0: memoir by Cheryl Strade called "Wild." And of course, the film that came out after that, starring Reese Witherspoon telling the story of of a young woman whose life was in turmoil. And so she impulsively kind of decides to hike a thousand miles along the Pacific Crest Trail. Um, she was totally unprepared for the journey, it turns out. And I wonder if she inspired similarly unprepared people to tackle the trail. Uh, is that something that you have found? Have you, are you finding more people kind of taking on a hike on the trail who maybe aren't prepared for it? Or did she raise the profile of the trail? Is you know Was that whole kind of memoir and movie, was that a good thing or a bad thing?
2: No, it was definitely a good thing for the trail. We've certainly seen uh, a growth in the number of people going out because of the movie. It started with that. I think the book and the movie um, really put the Pacific Crest Trail into kind of the American lexicon. And that's for the better because these places need attention. If we don't have people that love the trails, they they will disappear. That doesn't mean that there haven't been um, problems we have a lot of people using the trail that you know we didn't have before it does cause some issues in terms of how we manage the numbers of people and and what their impact is on the landscapes but you know cheryl's hike uh, really did bring the trail to the forefront of of conversation and i think also long distance hiking has really caught on in the in the last 10 years Uh, so there are more people out doing all the long trails Mm. Do you find that there are a lot of through hikers on the p c t people who take the trail from start to finish all at once? Yeah, there are. there are there are, you know there's still uh, a lot of people that want to do this thing. it's 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 the Mount Everest of long distance hikes, you know um so to to do it front to back uh, from one end to the other in a single season, about five months of walking, you know twenty six hundred and fifty three miles uh that's a pretty huge accomplishment and uh (laughs) but the majority of people on the trail are out for a day they're out taking their kids out for a hike or a picnic or to go fishing at a lake along the trail they're out for a weekend overnight you know backpacking trip with their friends or their family more people are using it in that way than are through hiking by far so You know, the Hawkers are kind of the rock stars, but they are a minority out there. Yeah, I actually have a friend who has a multi-year plan
0: to do the entire thing, but he's doing it in chunks of, you know, four days here, a week there, and he's just like, he's totally loving it. He just says it's like a
2: life-transforming experience. Well, and that's what the trail does for people. I mean, it's a place to go out and just you lose yourself out in the middle of nowhere, and then at the same time you find yourself. You know, you find out what's important in life. Uh, you shed everything because you're working hard. You're carrying everything you have on your back, uh, and it it is um, you know it is a life changer for a lot of people. Um, a lot of the thru hikers that go out are really. Uh, they may be in a transition point. They may have just graduated from college or they may have just graduated from high school, and they're looking to do something huge before they settle into, you know, the everyday life behind the computer screen. So uh, let's go hike for five months. You know, it doesn't sound half bad. <laughs> I think they get out of it a lot more than they think they're going to. We I hear a lot of stories from people that had no idea what it was going to do to them when they started, and five months later, they're completely different people. It's changed them, you know. And then we also have a lot of uh, a lot of older people who, you know, it's something they may have wanted to do their whole life. So we have a lot of different kinds of people out there. Well, let's talk about some of, some practical aspects of exploring the trail. I'd really love to hear about, say,
0: three or four of the most popular access points to the Pacific Crest Trail and uh, what you can experience there. What's, say, like the number one part of the trail in terms of
2: popularity? Oh, boy. Well, you know, that's that's almost an impossible question to answer. <laughs> um, number one has to be the Ansel Adams Wilderness, which is, um, you know, it's named after Ansel Adams, of course, the famous photographer who took some of the most beautiful pictures, early pictures of the of the trail and of the of the Sierra, but you get up to this place in the Ansel Adams Wilderness. Uh, there are two great lakes up there. One's called Thousand Island Lake, and one's called Garnett Lake, and they they sit at about ninety eight hundred feet above sea level. You can access those places from the east side or from the north. You can hike from Tuolumne Meadows, which is part of Yosemite National Park. You can hike south uh, along. The Lyle Creek, and you climb over a, a mountain pass and you get down into the Ansel Adams Wilderness, and you can eventually hit those lakes. You can hike out of Mammoth Meadows on the east side. Agnew Meadows is the trailhead. You get up into Thousand Island Lake, and you're just at tree line uh, with big mountains behind you. You know, the lake sits against the east face of Banner Peak, which is a 12,000 plus foot mountain. Just a rock spire shooting out of the ground. Uh, And right behind it is Ritter Peak. Um, These two mountains are amazing. They're falling, crumbling granite. Uh, There's a lake in between them and a glacier. If you hike up there and find it, it's an incredible place. The lake is huge, full of fish and great trout fishing up there and just amazing scenery. It is the iconic Sierra you know, high country. You will feel so tiny up there uh, and the night sky will push down on you, the Milky Way will press you into the ground.
3: Uh,
2: <laughs> and you know, you just, you get up there, you've hiked 10 miles, you're exhausted, you've got a headache from the altitude, but once you recover, <laughs> you uh, you start to just <laughs> live. And And after three or four days, you feel twice as strong as when you started. So what's another top spot? Well, I really like the Kearsarge Pass area. That's that's the Onion Valley Trail out of Independence, California. So you come in from the east side. You drive up to the trailhead out of Independence. Uh, you walk for a day probably to get up to a lake at just below the other side of Kearsarge Pass, which is, by the way, 11,700-plus feet. You go down to the lake and camp and and try to recover from that big day of walking. And then you're pretty close to the PCT. So from there, you can hike two miles uh, north over Glen Pass at 11,900 feet, yet another big pass, and get into uh, Ray Lakes, which is an amazing place in the wilderness. If you hike south on the PCT after getting on to the trail at Kearsarge, for nine miles, you get to Forester Pass. It's over thirteen thousand feet, but it's the highest point on the PCT. So there's some big passes in here, uh, and this is mostly above treeline. So you're getting that iconic rocky trail with you know where life is just clinging to the hillside, basically. Uh, <laughs> And it's you know it's it's spectacular in terms of view. <laughs> and then once you're up there, can you describe you? You say
0: there's like amazing views. Can you describe a little bit, like if you were looking out, what you'd be
2: seeing? Well, from Kearsarge Pass, you look east, and you're looking down to the the, the floor of the desert. Uh, you know, uh, Bishop and Lone Pine and and Independence are all down there in the in on the east side of the Sierra, just off Highway 395. You know. To me, the best drive in America, and then you you know looking from the pass into the mountains, it's just iconic. It's peak after rocky peak, and big open meadows, uh, with lakes in them, and you know trees kind of clinging to the lake. There's glaciers up there. There's you know on a in a heavy snow year, you may be walking over snow to get up in there.
0: How about one more of your favorite areas for hikers, maybe somewhere in a totally different part of the state where you can see something
2: totally unique? So up in the Klamath, you have the Trinity Alps Wilderness, you have the Russian Wilderness, you have the Marble Mountain Wilderness, and they're all kind of centered around the town of Etna or that's kind of where you can jump off. And if you go north uh, from Aetna, you're into the Marble Mountain Wilderness. 32 miles of the PCT go through the Marble Mountain Wilderness. It's just a range of peaks, Black Mountain, King's Castle, Marble Mountain, Uh, lots of lakes in there, really pretty. Uh, If you go south from Aetna, you're into the Trinity Alps Wilderness, about 17 miles of the PCT goes through there, so you've talked about you know some mountainous regions that the trail cuts through. Is there one
0: maybe you can talk about that's a, like at a lower altitude that might be a little easier for somebody who's a novice at this? Um, an area that would be a really uh, great place to start out? Maybe your adventure on the Pacific Crest Trail?
2: Yeah, the you know the the desert is is an amazing place, uh, and and it you know a lot of people would look at desert and say, you know, that's just not for me. It's barren. Uh, When you look closer, uh, you realize that the desert is its own wonderful, beautiful ecosystem. Um, We go through the Anza-Borrego Desert State Park. Uh, The PCT goes through the Mojave Desert to the north. These deserts are are, – they look like there's nothing there. And then a spring rain will come through and the wildflowers – jump out of the ground, and they are carpets of color uh, all through these places. Um, the wildlife is different. You, you won't see deer and bears down in the desert, but you will see snakes and lizards and coyotes. Uh, and the trail is beautiful through these places. And that's why, you know, a lot of people say the desert's their favorite part. It is a lot of lower elevation, and and you don't have to do that big climb. I think I got a different sense of appreciation once I walked in the desert and realized what a cool ecosystem it is and, and how fragile it is and yet how alive it is. So you've totally got me
0: like sold on it. Um, so let's wrap things up with some pro tips uh, for visitors looking to make their first foray onto the Pacific Crest Trail. Let's say a millennial couple, say from New York, comes out to California to spend three or four days hiking along the trail.
2: Where might you send them and, and what words of advice would you give them? First, I'd send them to our website because we have a lot of information about for new hikers on, on just how to prepare yourself, what to do, what to bring, what to expect. Be prepared. You know, there's a thing uh, called the 10 essentials and it's it's the tools you bring out with you. It's, you know, warm clothing. It's, it's matches. It's a flashlight. It's, you know, be prepared in case something happens because uh, you're walking into wild places. So those are, you know, I, I would just say that you should know your own limitations before you go out there. If it's your first time out there, maybe you want to, you know, backpack at home overnight, figure it out. Make sure you got comfortable shoes. There's, I mean, I could go on for hours on the list of things that you want to think about before you take a long walk into the wilderness. Uh, because once you're out there, you're on your own. You, you have to be self-sufficient. You have to be able to think on your feet. You have to understand what you're dealing with and where you are and realize that in most cases, there's no one there to help you. So – You have to be able to help yourself. Right. Well, I have to say, the PCT sounds like an amazing place.
0: All the advice you've given us has really been great. Thank you so much for joining us on California Now, Mark. You bet.
2: Thanks for having us. Mark Larrabee,
0: his book, The Pacific Crest Trail, Exploring America's Wilderness Trail, is available on Amazon and other bookstores. If you're considering a Pacific Crest Trail adventure, you really should check it out. For links and more information about everything we discussed today, go to our website, visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. We make it easy to track down all of the destinations and attractions discussed on the show. This is California Now. You know how some people are just effortlessly stylish? They seem to instinctively understand what's cool, where the trends are heading, and as part of that, of course, they know all the best places to shop. Well, my next guest, Erica Chan-Kaufman, is one of those people. We're going to talk to her about the intersection of travel and retail with an emphasis on some of the best places to shop in the Golden State. Welcome to the California Now
3: podcast, Erica. Thanks for having me.
0: So you know, I'd love to talk about your blog, honestly WTF, which is also your Instagram handle. Um, you have 125,000 followers, so obviously you're doing something right. How would you describe your site to the uninitiated?
3: My blog is a lifestyle blog, and I basically curate stories covering fashion, art, travel, uh, interior design, and DIY. And I also oversee Honestly Yum, which is a culinary destination for. Uh, seasonal food and cocktail recipes and entertaining ideas.
0: Wow! So you're covering all the fun stuff, like eating, dressing up, and having fun. It sounds like.
3: <laughs> yeah, eating, shopping. Th- yeah, my two favorite things.
0: <laughs> so, Erica, you know, I'm I'm interested in, in shopping suggestions for places that are very specific, kind of like to the area, to California. Something you can only find here. Um, would you say is there is there a vibrant artisan culture in the area?
3: Absolutely. Um, I think the artisan culture really came from, like, the California food movement, which was birthed here in the Bay Area, and I think it really trickled down to artisan crafts, which um, is huge here. So many ceramicists, um, obviously designers, um, shoe designers, artists, um, but yeah, ceramics is a big thing here in the Bay Area.
0: Okay, let's talk about some unique shopping experiences in the Bay Area. Why don't we start with San Francisco? What can we find there?
3: Oh, wow. There's so many amazing neighborhoods in San Francisco, and they're all so different. The first, I would say, is the Dogpatch, which is growing like crazy. But one of the first residents in the Dogpatch is Briar. The designer's name is Isabel Schofield, and she makes clogs. And all of her clogs are made in her San Francisco studio/slash warehouse, which was coincidentally an old former clog factory back oh. in San Francisco's industrial era. <laughs> yeah, it's super cool. And you'll see an entire wall of linden wood clog bases. So that's like the base of the shoe. And you go in, you pick your base, figure out your shoe size. And then select your leather and she'll have, you know, 20 different clog styles out there for you to try. And so you kind of like play around and try clogs on and figure out which style you like the best. And they'll custom make your own pair of clogs. And I think they ship them out in like two to three weeks, depending on how backed up they are. What I love is that they're an all-female run company. She's growing like crazy And her clogs are insanely comfortable.
0: Wow. So so what else? What other places that we need to check out when when we're in San Francisco?
3: Yeah. um, Pack Heights is amazing. Fillmore has, you know, has always been an amazing shopping destination. There have been some newcomers in the last few years, including Frida Salvador, which is also another shoe company that I'm also equally obsessed with.
0: I'm sensing a trend here with your shoe obsession. (laughs) I love shoes. Um,
3: (laughs) So yeah, so Frida Salvador is made up of two women, Christina Nelson and Megan Pappy, and they started Frida Salvador in 2012. And I really feel like they're responsible for putting San Francisco on like the fashion style map. And I feel like that kind of their shoes kind of epitomize San Francisco style. They're like edgy, but also utilitarian, a little masculine, but feminine. Um, and if you walk around San Francisco, you'll notice many women in San Francisco wear Frida Salvador shoes. They're so good. <laughs>
0: That's great. So, how about another one? How about a non shoe uh, pick that we have to hit?
3: Okay, a non shoe. Uh, <laughs> Hayes Valley is an amazing shopping destination. Tons of restaurants, amazing vintage stores, home decor stores. My favorite is Metier. It's a little jewelry store and they sell vintage and antique jewels as well as jewelry from new, modern, contemporary, independent designers. And you walk in and it's just like, it really is like walking into a little jewel box. The the walls are all painted dark blue and it's just, it's so beautiful and really you can find something for everybody.
0: All right, let's do the same thing now uh, in the East Bay. Is there a distinctive, say, Berkeley or Oakland look?
3: Yeah, there are amazing, amazing places to shop here in the East Bay. One of them is Temescal Alley, which is in Oakland. And it's this little alleyway that was apparently back in the day lined with stables for horses that pulled the town's trolleys. Um, But now it's home to a bunch of independent shops and restaurants and artist spaces. And it's a pedestrian-only alleyway. And some of my favorite shops there are Esquiletto, which is also a jewelry store, um, vintage and modern, uh, Dopp City, which is a new shoe store, new shoe label, um, the Vintage Rug Shop, which also just opened. Um, she sells a bunch of vintage rugs and housewares. It's beautiful, beautiful inside. And then one of my favorites and where I spend way too much money is Crimson Horticulture Rarities. Um, The store has plants and amazing ceramics, um, pots for plants, plant hangers, all sorts of little kind of like cute tchotchkes, um, candles. It's just like it's where I go to buy gifts for people. It's amazing, just beautifully curated. Can we talk a little bit about... Some of the things that that,
0: that you're buying maybe in a little more detail at these places that you can't find elsewhere. Like why would it be worth going to to Temescal Alley?
3: I mean, I think all of these stores are just so incredibly well curated. I mean, Esquileto she will, she carries jewelry from jewelry designers here in the Bay Area, um, as well as around the country. But, um, and the owner of Esquileto, Lauren, she herself is a jewelry designer. So um, it's incredible to see her jewelry designs amongst many others in the Bay Area. And there is quite a bit of Bay Area jewelry designers. So I feel like she just carries such a. Great selection of jewelry. And she also supports local artists. So, and then, yeah, Crimson, Horticulture Rarities. I mean, also the same thing. They carry ceramics and potholders from local ceramicists and potters. And so it's it's just great to support local artisans through those shops.
0: Right. Did you want to mention any place in Berkeley?
3: Yes, Berkeley. Tale of the Yak. This is my all-time favorite store in the whole world. It is otherworldly. This place is sort of like a Berkeley institution. It is amazing. Everyone must go. It's magic. So the owners travel all over the world and bring back stuff from China, Venice, Oaxaca, Ukraine. There's like paper lanterns from China, antique Murano glass chandeliers from Venice, they have like a huge birdhouse in the middle of the store, and they have two white doves in the b- <laughs> that hang out in the birdhouse. I mean, it's like insane. It's just like you feel like you've stepped into like a fairyland. Um, they have blouses, vintage blouses from Oaxaca, jeweled patches from India, and um, hand stitched tablecloths from Ukraine. And they also carry a lot of like paper crafts from local artists. I mean, it's just like a visual explosion. It's gem. Um, it's actually very overwhelming because it's just so stunning, um, and there's just so much stuff in there in such a small space. But um, I mean, I could easily spend an hour in there. I mean, it is—it's incredible.
0: Yeah, it sounds it. So let's keep bouncing around the the Bay Area, if that's all right. Do you have any like favorite boutiques or shopping hotspots in Marin County?
3: Yes. um, There are two interior... I I love Marin for home decor and interiors. Prevalent Projects just opened in Mill Valley. And it's a husband and wife duo that actually came from Los Angeles. Um, I think the husband used to work in the film industry. And, and did set design. Um, and he had a job up here in the Bay Area and fell in love with it. And so him and his wife opened a store that sells furniture, home decor, art, um, with mostly like a Japanese and Scandinavian aesthetic. But um, they sell like record players and sound systems. And then they also sell you know, like incense and skincare from Japan. It's it's really interesting and actually really quite inspiring and i and this is also what i love about these stores is you know they're owned they're independently owned so you get a chance to talk to the owners right and you can walk in and really hear their stories it makes you appreciate you know what's in the store even though it might not be in line with your own aesthetic and there's another shop in Marin Country Mart, which is a great selection of stores and restaurants. Some of them are, you know, chains. But what I, my favorite one is called the Cushion Shop. And it is a storefront and extension to an interior design brand called Well Made Home. It must be like 150 square feet or something. And you walk in and it's floor to ceiling shelving. Of cushions in a million different fabrics, and it's so it's like this little tiny tiny store, but they're, it's so colorful, and they have you know a whole wall of fabric swatches, so you can get um, pillows custom made, or you can just walk out of the store with a pillow or just a pillow cover if you're traveling and can't fit a pillow in your suitcase. Um, it's just it's incredible. I mean, if you like textiles, that is definitely a place you'll wanna you'll wanna explore.
0: Let's talk about one more stylish location in California. You can take us anywhere in the Golden State aside from L.A. Where should fashion-focused travelers go?
3: Hmm. Um, I love Ojai just because it's so so cute and so charming. And I feel like um, it has this sort of boho vibe that is just so authentic to Ojai but yeah, there's some amazing, fun, fun shops to um, shop at in Ojai. Uh, one of them being Decor and Co, um, which is like a handmade, um, handcrafted, and vintage furniture store. But she also has a really cute little tea bar in there. If you want to just like take a break from shopping and have a cup of tea, she has an apothecary inside. Uh, the owner's Swedish and an interior designer, and also an Ojai resident, so she's a local. And then um, another one is Summer Camp, which is um, really cool. It's a mid-century gas station that's sort of been converted into a concept store. Um, And they actually sell Ohi souvenirs, so like printed tees and sweatshirts that say Ohi on them, but they're super chic and kind of like (laughs) hipstery. And then they carry, you know, plants and plant hangers, little gifts, incense, um, ceramics, all sorts of things. And then if you want, if you're looking for clothing, uh, there's a store called In the Field, and they carry boho dresses from designers like Ula Johnson, um, different housewares. Um, it's a beautiful shop.
0: Right. Can, can you talk about the town a little bit? I, I know it's like a very charming downtown area, but for somebody who's never been to Ojai, what makes it so special just in general?
3: Yeah, Ojai is just this little enclave that is north of L.A., and it kind of has this, like, desert vibe to it. I mean, the Ojai Valley Inn and Spa is, I think, one of the best hotels, um, my favorite hotels, and it just has drawn a lot of people there. And it's just – it's cute. You can go horseback riding. It's, like, at the foothills of, you know, this beautiful mountain range. The weather is always great there. Um, So it's just it's quiet. It's nice. There's some like dive bars. I just I think people really like it because it's just maintained its kind of rustic charm.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, before I let you go, Erica, I'd love to get your best packing tips. Um, California is a great destination, obviously, but it's hard to know what to pack when you're planning a trip out here. So can you set us straight on that front?
3: Oh, yeah. Well, I'm still figuring that out, but I do have a few tips. I've actually just actually, I've just discovered packing cubes. Do you use those? Mm, uh, Not cubes. No. Yeah. There are these nylon cubes that zip open and closed and they come in various sizes and you can literally pack like double the amount of stuff that you normally could in a carry-on. So I always pack layers. And with these packing cubes, (laughs) I can pack so much more. But yeah, I mean, I would say good footwear, like walking shoes and harking back to what I said earlier about Frida Salvador. I mean, I travel all over the world and I always pack a pair of Frida Salvador shoes because I could literally walk miles in them, which is um, why I love them so much as well. But yeah, if you just have some packing cubes, some layers, two pairs of shoes, you're set.
0: Sounds great to me. Thank you so much for your great insights, Erica, and thanks for joining us on the California Now podcast.
3: Thanks for having me.
0: Erica Chan-Kaufman is the founder and executive editor of Honestly WTF, a lifestyle blog that collects and curates stories about fashion, travel, DIY, and more. Check it out. And for links to all of the places we discussed today, check out our website, visitcalifornia.com slash podcast. This is California Now. Thank you for listening to California Now. This podcast is produced by Visit California. I'm your host, Soterios Johnson. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. Please subscribe, and please let us know how we're doing by leaving feedback on our podcast. We read it all, and we'd absolutely love to hear what you think about California Now, including which topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Thanks again. I loved hearing PJ Catalano's descriptions of Legoland California, and even though I'm slightly beyond the target age range of 2 to 12 years old, I'm not going to lie, I want to go to Miniland USA and see those replicas of New York City and New Orleans and Southern California. If you want a sneak peek at Miniland USA and the rest of Legoland California, check out our California 101 video series, which includes an inside look at the park. You can find it and many other entertaining videos about California at visitcalifornia.com dream365tv.